The following is an archival presentation of The Sands of Time, hosted by Joyce Johnson. Before her passing in 2014, Joyce spent more than 25 years recording interviews with her fascinating neighbors. WOMR is committed to preserving this archive and sharing it with our listeners. Some of the material has become dated, but it remains as interesting and vital as ever. This is Joyce Johnson with Sands of Time, a program of oral history in which we interview our fascinating neighbors. Once again, we are in the studio of Romanus Risk of Provincetown, a painter who came here, I believe, in the 1950s or at, around then, and uh, loved it and stayed. And um, he has been here ever since and had a studio, um, a school, and like everyone else has um, done miscellaneous work um, to keep alive here. At this point now, he can depend only on his paintings, which is really a, a great, great privilege for an artist. Ray, um, you've had an, one teacher, you said, your first teacher was Henry Henchy, who, yes. who is, um, was a marvelous, interesting, crazy guy, yes. who also uh, a fascinating painter who, who carried on supposedly the Hawthorne School, but really that emerged into his own um, definitely style of painting. And he has uh, followers now. I believe there's going to be a big show of his work next summer, I think, yes, uh, I think at the Art Association. Tell us uh, about <clears throat> Henry. Well, because Henry was an unusual uh, character. Unusual in the sense that uh, uh, he was unique. Uh, in those days, when I, when I first came to Provincetown uh, uh, to study with him in 49-50, those classes were very large. Uh, Hoffman had a very, and, and one of the reasons they were large is because uh, young, the males uh, were, could study on the GI Bill, and so it made it possible for them to come to Provincetown and, uh, and, and study with a teacher where they might not have been able to afford it otherwise, although we never got our checks from the government until six months later, so we were broke all the time we were here, but at least we knew the money would be coming sooner or later. So you were and, so, and, and the teacher was getting paid uh, from the GI Bill. Uh -huh. So classes of Henry's were as big as 50, 60 Ooh. students in the class. And Hoffman's classes were that way too. And there were other people teaching here. I don't know what their classes were like because I'd never seen them, uh, uh, the size of their classes and so on. But I know they, we had that many students running all summer long. Uh, not, it didn't, you know, it was constantly, if some didn't stay the whole summer, still there was constantly, could be at least 50 or 60 uh, students in the class at one hmm. time, at all times. Uh, and Henry had ideas at the time which were stemmed from Hawthorne and from Impressionism, uh, and, and possibly because some of his own, that uh, were in conflict with the new trends that were coming along, meaning the, the Marden School was was moving along very strongly. The abstract, abstract impressionists. Mm -hmm. Expressionists were, you know, were around, Picasso was around, so on and so forth. And there was a conflict of ideas uh, between the, the two schools, and Marden School saying, well, the other one is uh, passe, and the, uh, and the new school saying that, the, I mean, and the old school saying that the new one uh, doesn't have any validity, <laughs> you sure. know? Uh, and Henry certainly was part of the old school. Uh, and, and not part of the new school. But the thing uh, 
the thing that I have to say for Henry is that he came from a tradition of good painters. And I think that's always been very important. Uh, you don't get to be a good painter out of nowhere. Uh, the best teachers produce the best students. That I've learned. If you look at a class, if the teacher is good, the students are good because they have him as an example and his teaching, both his painting and his teaching. And if the teacher is poor, frankly, we have a lot of what's happening today because the universities uh, have taken on a lot of people as teachers who knew nothing and produced nothing. And it's not an exaggeration, it's a fact. That doesn't apply to all teachers in all universities, but that's been the general rule mm -hmm. uh, in, in the world of art. Because they threw away all those old traditions that, that came down from Chase to Hawthorne to Henry Henschey and others who, who were part of those schools. And uh, they, they gave the students a very solid foundation in drawing. We sat at night and drew with Henry. And all through the day, we were studying color with Henry. So we are working on those two things. Because uh, he had some limitations in the sense that he didn't teach composition, but he felt you could learn that elsewhere. And that it was a that you couldn't learn what he had to teach elsewhere. Mm. So he concentrated mm. on the color mm -hmm. uh, and so on. And in that sense, it was true. And uh, some of us did take advantage of trying to learn other things elsewhere that we weren't getting, getting from Henry. He was very outspoken about the fact that uh, his way of painting was the most important way of painting. And as far as basic training was concerned, it definitely was very important. It was being thrown out elsewhere. And with that basic training, one could then go on to do anything if you wish to. I, uh, I, always had, I always said, well, he, he had a narrow you know, outlook as far as abstract painting was concerned. Uh, but then on the other hand, he was older than we were, and there was no reason to think that he should jump in <laughs> and start following these new trends. Sure. Uh, as time went on, I became more and more interested in uh, leaving out the subject matter and just dealing with the color and the shape and the line and, mm -hmm. and, and working the painting as if it was a symphony mm -hmm. uh, instead of an opera which had words. Mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. uh, that's the way I looked upon it. I said, well, if you if you put if you put make it a picture, then you've got you've got a musical, and if you don't, you've got a symphony, just a, a melodic line without the words. Sure. Uh, and so I did that for quite a few years. Mm -hmm. And now I'm painting realistically, but yeah. only because I had that training where I could go in any direction sure. that I wanted to, meaning I could then deal with color and line and shape, mm -hmm. and, and not just from what I learned from Henry, but what you could learn from whomever mm -hmm. was better than you were, right? <laughs> you know, uh, from their paintings. Yeah, did you knew Phil Malicote uh, pretty and, well? And I knew Phil Malicote pretty well, yeah. I, didn't, I never studied with Phil Malicote mm -hmm. uh, uh, and so on, but... Uh, I, I knew him well also from the Beachcombers Club, as I knew others yeah. well from tell, the Beachcombers Club. Tell us a little bit about the Beachcombers Club. Yeah, well, the Beachcombers Club has also changed over, uh, I know, I noticed over that. the years. It's not as raucous as it used to be. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they don't get drunk every year. It's kind of nice. No, in fact, uh, <laughs> once in a while, women could probably come to, the, to a meeting without becoming disgusted <laughs> with the oh, whole activity, dear. you know. But in those, back in those days... They wouldn't want to be there. <laughs> they wouldn't want to. They definitely would not want to be there. 
And, and when, if you were young, of course, in those days, it was, we looked upon it as being exciting. You know? Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> stupid things looked exciting. <laughs> in the old days. <laughs> in the old days, yeah. I mean, foolish things uh, were a lot of fun, you know. Yeah, so, what, what, now I get, we get a little bored with them. As you get older, <laughs> you begin to think, well, why are we doing that, you know? <laughs> in case some of our listeners don't know what the Beachcombers uh, is, why don't you uh, describe it a little bit? Well, the Beachcombers Club was started by a group of artists, and I, I don't know who they all were now, but I know Hawthorne was at the head of that group. And, uh, and it continued and from his time. Uh, they... Uh, I don't re recall now how they came to own that building and so on, which is right next to the what was the flagship restaurant is now the Dancing Lobster. Uh, but it goes back that far. And uh, for those who don't know, it's a, it's a, uh, it's you're supposed to be an artist of some sort to get into the club. I mean, you can play the guitar, you can uh, uh, you can write poetry, uh, whatever. And many p people have gotten into the club who were not artists, like Manny Zora <laughs> was in the club, <laughs> you know. Uh, Manny Zora, again for our audience, was a fisherman who, was, who a fisherman. was also a bootlegger. <laughs> yeah, who also, yeah, right, he was a rum runner in the old days, uh, a very interesting character. I'm sure they wanted him aboard. <laughs> very interesting character. But you see, man, well, the club meets, of course, once a week on Saturday. Mm -hmm. One of the artists uh, uh, is required to cook. It's always difficult getting someone to volunteer, but uh, before the meeting's over, someone has to volunteer. And they never pick. They have someone has to volunteer, uh -huh. and uh, that person will, will, you know, will cook from. Somebody will have to cook anyway every week, and they usually do a good job of it. Artists are pretty good cooks. Uh, being creative, mm -hmm. we get good meals. <laughs> Great, <laughs> you know, we're happy to. <laughs> it's rare. Once in a while, you get somebody. Uh, He's usually not a painter. <laughs> if, if he doesn't cook well, he usually is not a painter. He's usually not a painter, you know. Uh, paint, painters made good carpenters and good cooks. Okay. <laughs> you know, and so on. And, uh, but uh, people got into the club that uh, occasionally it might be an art dealer who might mm -hmm. get into the club. People like Manny Zoris, he had a boat. Phil Malicote worked for him on the boat. Mm -hmm. And numerous, probably other artists, uh, survived by working for Manny Zora on mm -hmm. his boat fishing. Mm -hmm. What was he like? You knew him? Oh, yeah. Tell, tell me. Well, Manny him. had a strong Portuguese accent. Yeah. He was a, and with this broken English and Portuguese accent, he told the most wonderful stories. Sometimes they were a bit bawdy because uh, he liked to, uh, uh, he liked to tell you about his new experience with his new new girlfriend, <laughs> you know, who was oh, half his age usually, <laughs> you know. Someone mentioned once to him, well, what about so-and-so? He said, that old woman? <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> of course, she was younger than he, <laughs> than he was, you know, oh. and so on. But Manny had a, you know, very colorful past with uh, rum running. They, they wrote a, finally he, in, in, you know, in, uh, with a writer, wrote a book on the, on the, uh -huh. old, on the old days of rum running, fishing, uh, and, uh, you know... Uh, the something fox. The, yeah, uh, it was called the Sea Fox. The Sea Fox, yeah. Because his boat was called the Sea Fox. Right. I think uh, Zora is, uh, is the word for fox. I think so, too, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so he was a very colorful figure, and he would get up in the club uh, at a point at, in the meeting when uh, stories are allowed to be told, and he'd have a story to tell. And he retired. I don't know how old he was. He was quite old, but he retired, and... He retired to Portugal. Yes, I remember. He retired to Portugal and lived out the rest of his days there. I think 
he had, I, I never asked him about this, and he, we'd hear from him from time to time. He'd send us, he'd write us to the club every now and then. But, and I never did talk to him about Portugal because uh, we didn't, I didn't see him after that. But I'm sure Portugal had two things for him. One, it was cheaper so he could live on the money he had. And there were young women there <laughs> that would appreciate an American. <laughs> Portuguese. <laughs> you know. uh, if they did live with him. Not, I really miss never having met him. That's one of the people I think I would Oh, yeah. Met. And, uh, and Zora, Manny Zora was not a good looking guy, but he had tremendous character in yeah. his face. He had a very large nose. Yeah. And, and lots of lines and, and crags in his mm -hmm, face. Mm -hmm. But he was right out of the sea. <laughs> <laughs> you, right. you, you, you know, you really believe this was a Portuguese fisherman. <laughs> Did he ever tell you about rum running? Oh, he told stories. Yeah, he yeah. tell a story about how they they came in on the boat and uh, what they had to, how what they had to do to get rid of the load because they were being chased. <laughs> you know? Go back and where they morning. brought it into and so on. And I don't remember all the stories. Yeah, now, I bet. Actually, but uh, mm -hmm. those were usually part of the stories sure. that. Uh, he was telling. Eddie Euler was a member of the Beach Combers too, right? Yeah, and Eddie was a. Uh, he was one of my favorite people. Yeah, Eddie Euler was was most. I was a favorite person for a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, Eddie was a good painter. Mm-hmm. All of these people were, that painted were very dedicated. Mm -hmm. I mean, they. Mm -hmm. They. Uh, very serious. Very serious about pr producing good work and mm -hmm. so on, and uh, but Eddie was at the club every week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't join the club as early as some people. Like Sal was in the club when he first got here because Sal he, yeah, he became mm -hmm. cabin boy oh. and lived at the club. Oh, he did? Yeah, so he had a place oh, to live. no kidding. Yeah, he lived at the club. Uh, I don't know how many years he did that. But even when he wasn't living at the club anymore, I think he continued to be cabin he boy. He lived upstairs, did they? He lived upstairs. Whoever was the cabin boy. upstairs, yeah. And I lived... Uh, uh, a block away where the antique jewelry store used to be. Mm -hmm. uh, I know. You know, what's mm -hmm. her name? I forgot her name. Selma or Selma. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I lived there in the basement uh -huh. uh, for, for a couple of years. And then we got married and we moved upstairs. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know? Into the and that, that was Mrs. Ogilvie's house mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. And there were seven of us living downstairs at, mm -hmm. at one point, paying a dollar each. Mm. For a week, you mean? For a week, yeah. Oh, so it my. came to $7. Oh, boy. <laughs> $7 a week. Those were the so days. I didn't plan on having that many uh, people living with me, but as they kept coming in saying, I'm here, <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have anywhere to go. No, the extra money paid for the food, huh? Uh, and so we would, uh, oh, and then we didn't always collect all the money, but it's still $7 a week. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't too bad. But, uh, and Eddie, uh, Eddie was a quiet person mm. with a tremendous wit. Mm. <laughs> it's like he didn't say anything and when he did say it it was quietly but people listened because they knew it was going to be funny. <laughs> and uh, so and, and the same with Bruce McCain. Mm -hmm. In fact that was one thing that, that took place in the club a great deal even more than today. I know it came out of a certain tradition but uh, uh, the older artists were very witty. Mm -hmm. They could, a uh, dry sort of wit, I Yeah, a think. dry kind of wit. Uh, but when they said, so they, instead of saying a lot, they said, some, they said a little yeah. and left everybody laughing. Really? You know, either laughing or saying, yeah, that was a great Whoops. statement. <laughs> that was a great statement. Yeah. <laughs> you know, have to right. <laughs> I'll have to remember that. <laughs> I remember Phil was like that, too. Yeah, Phil yeah. was that way. A bit of wisdom would come zinging at you. Exactly. Uh, 
And uh, but that was part of uh, that was part of a tradition. I, they kind of learned that from each other, probably, and mm -hmm. from those before them, you know, and mm -hmm. and so on. Some of that's been lost. Although at the club, uh, we still have some pretty brilliant characters in the club. Mm -hmm. But now if I have to tell you names, I'm going to forget. You still go then? You, know. you still go every now and then? Well, I didn't go for about 10 years because I was mm -hmm. going to Florida. I went to Florida for 10 years in the okay. winter. Mm -hmm. And so I was away from the club. Uh, but now that I haven't been, last three years I haven't been going to Florida. Mm -hmm. So I've been going, I've been going fairly. Has Grace ever complained that you deserted her on Saturday night? No, Grace has got to have, as most <laughs> wives are, I believe, they're very happy that he's not, that they don't have to cook that night. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that they can have the evening to themselves, especially, I think with most artists, maybe. At, at least, like, Grace and I are together all the time. Mm. It isn't like I go to work. Yeah, you know, right. And, and you she, are. she doesn't see me. I'm, I'm around most of the time, and so on. So if I went away for one evening, it wouldn't hurt. <laughs> you know? And uh, yeah. although lately, she, when I come home, she says, God, take those clothes off. You smell a fireplace. Cigar smoke. <laughs> <laughs> and when you've been to the beachcombers. When I've oh, been yeah. to the beachcombers, yeah. I have to, I as soon bet. as I come in, I have to take all my clothes. I don't know how other wives deal with it. But this is, <laughs> this is what I, she says, you stink to high heaven. <laughs> you know? I say, well, honey, we're standing next to the fire. That's the only heat we have there yeah. is the fireplace. Sure. And it heats the place, you know, the yeah. main room where we eat fine. But it does throw off, uh, you know, burning smell. And, and mm -hmm. then... Uh, Cigars are in fashion right now. Yeah, we weren't smoking well, cigars. Uh, they're powerful. That, I mean, there were a few people who smoked cigars before. Mo Van Derrick always had a cigar in his mouth. Mm -hmm. He got to be known as uh, Cigar. Mm -hmm. And a few other people might have smoked a cigar occasionally, but now everybody's passing around cigars. Mm. And uh, I quit smoking some time ago, so I don't think it's good for my, <laughs> particularly good for my health. But they're enjoying themselves with their huh, cigars. They think yeah. they're not as uh, lethal as cigarettes or something. I don't think they care. Oh, okay. <laughs> Why not? I don't. Th I don't know whether what they're thinking. They're just thinking, and maybe they only do it on Saturday night. I mean, they're, they're probably not smoking cigars all week long or something. So they figure they can get away with it. Yeah. Have uh, you ever been much of a dune shack person? No, uh, I've never had any experience with dune shacks other than to visit others who had mm -hmm. dune shacks. Mm -hmm. But those early days, we spent a lot of time on the dunes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, something that. You know, we didn't do as we got older, but uh, mm. we maybe went out occasionally. But in those early days, my first couple of years, two, three years here, uh, as a student and so on, very many a night I took a blanket, went out on the dunes and slept right yeah. on the sand, looking yeah. up at the stars, thinking, wonderful. my, what a wonderful right. uh, experience this is to be sure. looking up at all these stars. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That was before they put Route 6 through, probably, oh, too, yeah, the, which we, made it different. There wasn't any Route 6. Yeah. And, of course, Snail Road was a dirt road. Yeah. And that was a wonderful experience to walk out on Snail Road, because the vegetation kind of covered it like a, uh, like it like it had a roof on mm. it. You're walking in a tunnel. Mm -hmm, sure. You're walking mm -hmm. in a tunnel of vegetation and walking in the sand, and it came out onto this bright, I know, bright dunes. That was the, that was very uh, important experience. Instead of just all of a sudden coming out onto the dunes, oh yeah, and so on. Yeah, yeah. And so we'd spend and we'd picnic out there, and we and, and of course as students we were out there. Uh, well, every Saturday we had uh, we had a bonfire going or a fire going, brought out food. Oh, no kidding! The whole class would, okay. uh -huh. would, would go every uh -huh. Saturday. That was and with Hen Henry. That was with Henry, and, and other guests came. I mean, you know, people that weren't studying mm -hmm. would come along, and uh, we'd have corn and potatoes and hot dogs mm. and, and whatever, uh, which we'd, we'd be cooking out there, and they'd bring guitars, and uh, mm. I'd sing in those days. Sal would sing. 
we uh, used to like to sing, mm -hmm. especially Sal. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, and uh, they'd say, uh, Sal, give us a song. How about Sorrento? <laughs> <laughs> And he'd sing. And they'd say, Ray, how about Old Man River? Give us a golden <laughs> earrings. How about golden earrings? We sang it a million times over. <laughs> you know? And uh, we'd, we'd perform. Oh, uh, you know? great. And those were great evenings. To a guitar. Someone and, if some, and, if there was a, and if there wasn't any guitar, we just sang a cappella, yeah. you know. Yeah. Didn't have to have the... But uh, there'd usually be somebody with, with guitars and yeah. so on. And there'd be other singing, but... Uh, and Henry would go along on these two? Oh, yeah. Henry was there and Ada was there. Yeah. Ada was Henry's, was Henry's wife, who yeah, and, and uh, was Henry also were, a painter. Henry was acting like he was as young as everybody else yeah. there, you know, yeah. uh, drinking beer and squirting yeah. it over yeah. everybody. <laughs> in fact, uh, he was very embarrassing in those days. Yeah. Uh, if he had a few drinks, he could he could wreck your house <laughs> if you were if he was a guest, you know. And we thought it was great because we, we thought it was great eccentricity, you know, right. and so on. Because when I look back on it now. <laughs> I think yeah. gee, that was terrible. Yeah. But we would be invited, uh, the whole class would be invited at times to uh, people who had wealthy homes here. Mm -hmm. okay. with, with expensive oh, furniture really? and rugs. Oh, yeah, because Henry was well known yeah. uh, and uh, respected and so on mm -hmm. and so forth. But after a few beers. <laughs> yeah, you'd lose it a little. <laughs> after a few beers, they had to throw us out before, before the rug was ruined with beer and, and whatever, you know. <laughs> um, but that was fun because we were young. And yeah. he. Managed to act like he was younger than we were. Oh, I bet. <laughs> at that I time. Bet. Yeah, he. And uh, and Ada just put took, up with it. Yeah, she took the attitude. Well, it's all right. Yeah, it's okay. It's, not, yeah. it's okay. And we we sometimes we we were we feeling sorry for Ada, and she said, "That's all right." <laughs> yeah. I think he finally caught up with her, if I remember correctly. He, yes, and she's about sixty or something. She yeah, said, right. Enough is enough. <laughs> enough is enough. It finally caught up to her, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, small towns, yeah. right? Everybody knows everything. Yeah. Oh dear. Um, there was someone else I wanted to ask you about too. Well, of course, um, Sal, we mentioned him, but Sal has been really maybe one of your closest friends. Some He's of been known. one of my closest friends, right. right. Sal Daldeo, who is a painter. And yeah, I was saying he was from the club from the very beginning. I was not. Uh, I probably didn't come into the club until somewhere in the early 60s. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't remember now. My memory is bad when it comes to dates like mm. that. But uh, and and uh, I was not a joiner. Yeah. And any any time anyone mentioned that there was a club, you know, mm -hmm. I said, well, I don't care to be part of a club, you know. <laughs> uh, I don't I don't care to be in anything that was exclusive I, because it turned out the Beachcombers was not really a, yeah. a club like most clubs. Right. Know? No. <laughs> and didn't Indeed. fit it, didn't fit into that category. But but one day, but I knew everybody, mm -hmm. and there was. Uh, uh, Al Weisberg. Mm hmm. Uh, the leather uh, sandal maker. Who was the sandal maker. Mm hmm. Who died fairly young. Mm hmm. And uh, uh, that, I, don't, I, I don't remember who it was. Somebody was ill in the club and needed a tr blood transfusion. Oh. And I happened to be on the scene when Maybe they were. It was Al. And it might have been Al. Yeah, I think so. But no, but Al got sick later in oh, life. Okay. This was early mm -hmm. when he was quite young. We were all quite young. And uh, I happened to be on the scene when they were piling into this van. Oh. Uh, a half a dozen were getting into the van to go up to the hospital and give blood. Oh. And I guess, I don't know, I said, where are you going? And they said, we've got to go give blood for so-and-so. I said, mm. well, I'll go with you and give some blood, too. Mm. And after that, they said, you've got to join the club. <laughs> you <laughs> You're a blood brother now. you gave blood, you've got to join the club. <laughs> so, and I, and I, so I thought, well, gee, I can't insult them. I, you know, they want me to join, I'll join. And, uh, 
Anyway, it's been a nice experience. Yeah, really. Uh, huh. Being part of it. I was wondering, you said that Sal was the cabin boy. What did the cabin boy do? Well, the cabin boy does, and still does, till today, whoever is cabin boy. Uh -huh. uh, cabin boy keeps the club up. Okay. Uh, keeps it clean. Right. Mainly uh, washes the dishes. Okay. After. And the pots and the pans after oh, the dinner's had lucky. and puts it, puts it all away okay. and gets it ready for the next, for uh -huh. the next week. I see. And uh, and then once in a while maybe goes through the club and, and clean. But I don't think his duties are really more than cleaning up mm -hmm. the pots and the pans, mm -hmm. uh, because other members will come in from time to time and say this place is dirty, and they'll they'll do the cleaning. They'll uh -huh. actually take it upon themselves to, I know Bruce Dealey will come in and uh, say this place is a mess, you know, and he'll vacuum and, and do uh -huh. things. Which means the cabin boy I don't think is committed to have to do all those things. Mm -hmm. But in return the cabin boy. Uh, and Frank Milby has been cabin boy for mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. In return for that, he gets a place to paint. He's got, mm -hmm. he's got, yeah. that, he's got an upstairs yeah. where, where they used to live mm -hmm. is now his studio I and see. has been for a okay. long time. Right. So he's got a permanent studio there in exchange for doing what, uh, doing what he does. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's good having him as cabin boy because when a lot of people cook, he ends up making, he makes a dessert. Ah, he's a good dessert maker? <laughs> he's a good upside down, um, pineapple upside down okay. rum cake. Okay. <laughs> he makes a big one. It's probably good to have someone around there too. I mean, just to, Oh yeah, and know, it's good because he's, he's there working, painting. Yeah, a presence, and, yeah. And uh, Bugar's uh, studio was right and next to Bugar's door. studio was, was <clears throat> uh, part of, what, it was a section off the club. Mm -hmm. uh, his foundry was there when right. he cast in bronze. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's been, that since then has been rented out yeah, and no. used by a variety of people. Jim yeah. Forsberg had, had a sure. studio yeah. uh, for a while. I don't know who's been using it lately, if anybody. Maybe mm. no one's been using it recently. Mm. Mm. But well, it's uh, certainly uh, a fascinating. Uh, the Beachcomber certainly has had uh, a lot of the color yeah, of, a lot of the color. Uh, we had, Provincetown. We, we had Harry Kemp there. And mm, those yeah, things, I know. think Harry, I Harry was in a... Uh, Harry was another real character. Sure. And Harry would get up at every meeting and have to read us a poem, <laughs> usually right in the middle of other activity because he didn't hear too well. <laughs> so, oh, really? I didn't yeah. do that. Oh, yeah, he was losing his hearing. <laughs> uh -huh. So while somebody, you know, while we were having a report from the uh, from one of the committees, <laughs> Harry would stand up and start reading his poem. <laughs> oh, <that's great. laughs> you know? And we'd say, Harry, later, but he couldn't hear us. <laughs> so we'd say, all right, let him finish his poem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. And then we'll go on. Super, <laughs> you know? super. And who's going to take Harry home tonight? Oh. Harry's completely <laughs> stewed, you know. Who's going to take Harry home tonight? Oh, I guess I'll take him home, Harry, <laughs> you know. Oh, and we'd boy. have to lift him up, put him in the car, and oh. take him home. Oh, boy. But Harry, before the, even the beachcombers thing, he'd be out there on the street. Mm-hmm. In the summertime, and we art students would see him coming, and he'd have mm -hmm. this cape on. Mm -hmm. He was the real poet. Yeah. And he'd always have something that was going to happen that was exciting for us. You mm -hmm. know, like uh, he was going to have, he was creating an opera. So and so was writing the music, yeah. and uh, oh. Chobanian was going to be the Armenian hymn singer. Oh. <laughs> you know, right. and somebody else was going to be. Was, you know, there's always these big things happening, or, uh, or we'd we'd have an activity out on the dunes uh, mm -hmm. on Snail Road. He was going to resurrect a pilgrim and a, and a couple of Indians and a dog. <laughs> he wasn't going to resurrect them. He had a, a swami that was going to bring them back from the dead. And then he would read his poetry, uh, and then he would uh, do a thing, and he would be dressed in his pilgrim's uh, uh, costume, and he would do some, uh, uh, and then he would he would give a history of Provincetown and the pilgrims landing here. Mm -hmm. 
And as a result of his writing to the queen constantly uh, and to the royal family, mm -hmm. he always did this on Shakespeare's birthday. Mm. And he always had his Shakespeare birthday party out on the dunes where they read Shakespeare wow. and recited Shakespeare. Things like this, you know, he was constantly instigating activities that were stimulating. Fascinating. And, uh, and because of him, that boat had, when they left for Plymouth from mm -hmm. England, mm -hmm. Found it was not a lot. Couldn't go to Plymouth without having to stop from stop. <laughs> <Right. laughs> because he made it clear. <laughs> that was it. Yep. Well, uh, Ray, um, thank you once again for being with us on the Sands of Time. My guest today on the Sands of Time has been uh, Romanus Risk of Provincetown, a well-known painter, and um, he is uh, certainly has the understanding of uh, this wonderful art colony. The Sands of Time is a program of oral history in which we interview our fascinating neighbors. Your host today has been Joyce Johnson. Thank you for being with us. We hope you enjoyed this episode from the archives of Joyce Johnson. Although some of the material may have been dated, we here at WOMR think it's important to continue to share it with our listeners.